I'm Dr. Kimberly Manning. And this is Dr. Ashley McMullen. And you're listening to the Human Doctor Podcast, where we explore the human side of medicine, along with teaching, living, learning, and all things in between. Using the power of storytelling, conversation, and connectedness. Hey, we're two dope academic internal medicine doctors, but we ain't your doctors. So if you perceive anything we say here as medical advice, no, it ain't that. Also, the things we say, they only reflect our brilliant black woman magic mind and not our employers. You could have been anywhere, y'all, but you chose to be here with us and we appreciate you. Let's Let's go. go. Happy Monday to you, sis. Happy Monday to you. I'm sorry. I was hydrating there for a moment. (laughs) Trying to step my hydration game up a little bit. Yeah. It's the first time I've seen you without a coffee mug on this meeting. Hey, I met this 82 year old woman this weekend who looked completely awesome Mm. and who was super fit and walking around and living her best life. And she told me that she loves coffee and enjoys it liberally. Wow. And also has a glass of wine a few days per week. (laughs) That's what I'm talking about. Exactly. I said, are you working out a lot? And she says, I strength train. Ah, so you know what? Coffee, strength training, and wine. And why? Okay. In that order. <laughs> <laughs> I can get into that regimen. Yep. 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 All right. How you hey. doing? What's up, Mahalia? Um, we had a pretty fun weekend. So I actually went camping on Angel Island. <laughs> I camping. wish I could see Dr. Manning's reaction right now as soon as I said the word camping. Yes. <laughs> Full on outdoors. Okay. Camping, like for real camping, was not something that I did at all really growing up. And not just that it wasn't that accessible, it was more so just kind of, I don't know, a bit of a mindset. It just didn't seem like something that we did. I love the diplomacy with which you are saying what is known. And it is that (laughs) it's not a big cultural thing for us to be out in the middle of the woods for no reason. And let me just go on and keep that thing 100 Mm -hmm. because our people, particularly particularly those of us who are descendants of human beings uh, who survived being enslaved, we are also descendants of a lot of human beings who survived running away from being enslaved and they were up in the woods. Mm-hmm. We already camped. We good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it never really seemed like a very safe place. Nah, playa. <laughs> but, you know, I started doing more outdoors activities since I got to the Bay Area. And I have to say, like, you know, while it took some getting used to, I feel really grateful to my friends who've taught me, you know, a lot of things that made me feel more and more comfortable doing it. So it was beautiful. We hiked, we drank, we ate. It was me and about... 15, I think 15, 16 other colleagues, many of which I was in residency with. Okay. So yeah, we've all been here since 2015, some for longer. Mm-hmm. And the mantra UCSF, which stands for you can't stay forever has held true for most go. of my residency class. There you go. So as you know, I was actually in uh, Northern California this past weekend and one of my uh, roommates, I was at Napa Valley celebrating my 30th anniversary as a member of Delta Sigma Theta with my line sisters from Tuskegee. Shout out to us. But my roommate wanted me to go um, 
I shouldn't say she wanted me to go hiking with her. She was going hiking and she mm-hmm. said I could come. And I started asking all my hiking questions and she told me to stay my ass <laughs> in a hotel. So I, I, yeah. I'm, I'm going to go on a hike one of these days. Somebody needs to take me hiking so I can figure I, out. I will take you hiking. I had a bucket list item this weekend while in Napa Valley, me and the same line sister, shout out to Tanya. We got up at O Dark 30 and we took a hot air balloon ride. Oh, cool. Over all of these luscious vineyards and hills. And it was absolutely beautiful. We saw the sunrise. It was really, that was dope. I've never been in a hot air balloon before. I had not either. Yeah, no, it was really, it was a really nice experience and a good way to kind of see everything from above. I guess what I'm thinking right now is, you know, we work very, very hard and we use a lot of cognitive effort in our jobs. And I just think people need to really put energy into what their diastole is going to look like. Mm. Like if you got some time off, yeah, don't just be only doing laundry and folding clothes and balancing your checkbook or whatever it is you do. You have got to carve out some time to actually do something that is epic. Yeah. Getting on a hot air balloon and being in Napa Valley this weekend with several people that I went to college with 30 years ago and pledged sorority with. That was dope. I I feel the exact same way having spent an evening outdoors with my close colleagues and friends. So yeah. Yep. Diastole for the win. Well, party people, I am all rested up. I uh, had my share of wine, strength training, and coffee. (laughs) (laughs) And the fresh-faced arborist, Dr. Ashley McMullen, will be blessing us with a story from her archives. (laughs) Are deep, you know, but gonna thumb through them real quick and just pull out one selection for us today. So sis, do tell me on this lovely Monday, what is the what? Oh, man, the archives. I love that. You like that, huh? The archives of Ashley. We need to make that like a journal. Exactly. (laughs) To make an actual file. That's right. The what for this episode is connection. Oh, connection. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. Came up with that about three minutes ago. Ah! (laughs) What's the first thing that that comes to your mind these days when somebody says connection? Oh, see, you quizzing me on my own stories. Absolutely. Um. Absolutely. (laughs) Cause I'm, cause I'm the senior faculty member. This is, right. this is a yeah. Socratic model. I just shake it up. I can't have you getting, mm. thinking things are predictable. That's a teaching yeah. point. You know that mm-hmm. don't okay. keep people guessing, but anyway, keep going. Right. Connection. The first thing that comes to mind, I actually, I don't know. I, the thing that comes to mind is just like a picture, like a puzzle piece, like fitting together, like something that binds people in a way that is meaningful. Mm-hmm. How about Here you? For it. Yeah. These days, when I think of the word connection, I think of the word necessary. Mm, wow. Just like you just need needed to survive. And we know that a lot of the bad things that happen with people are when they're disconnected. Yeah. A lot of bad stuff happens when you aren't connected. So, yeah. So I have a story from my second year of residency. Okay. I was a senior resident on our cardiology service. Mm-hmm. 
And so with this service, you know, you're on it for about four weeks and the senior resident who's on call for that day is admitting over about a 28 hour cycle. At least that's how it was for us at that point. So from the time that you take the admissions pager from about 7 a.m. to Mm -hmm. the next morning, any patient who comes through the emergency room who needs to be admitted for a heart related issue is coming to you. So as one might imagine, that shift can get pretty exhausting. And so I had been on um, during a busy admissions day that whole day. There was at one point a lull in the evening. And so I was trying to decompress a little bit. Luckily, the, the cardiology service was you know starting to slow down. But I know that for my medicine colleagues, the general medicine service, things were kind of really popping that night. Okay. And so there was a patient who came through the emergency room. I didn't get called initially because the call for admission had gone to um, my medicine colleague. And that colleague called me and said, hey, Ashley, I think, you know, there's a patient who is, uh, we got called for, for an admission, but I think, you know, this patient would be appropriate for cardiology service. So I start to look up the patient and I see that, you know, they came in with an abnormal heart rhythm, but the basis or what was driving that heart rhythm seemed to be more of a medical problem. Um, And by medical problem, I mean, it wasn't something specific to the heart. I think that patient had sepsis and that was what was causing the, the abnormal heart rhythm, which typically should be managed by a medicine service. The, the interesting yeah, thing yeah. about it is, you know, I'm also an internal medicine resident, but somehow right. when you're a cardiology service, you become a cardiologist. Right. And then, you know, you tend to want to do the thing that you, I know, despise, which is, right. you know, what we sometimes call blocking. Yeah. Which is where you have an admission that, you know, you don't necessarily want to take and think would be appropriate for another service. And so it becomes kind of this hot potato issue. Yep. And I know that at that time I was not in the mood to take another admission. I was tired. It was late. I'd been on all day. The night admitting medicine resident was really busy, but they also hadn't been on for 20, you know, 20 plus hours. And so, you know, I found myself in that kind of adversarial role. And finally it came down to the fact that the medicine service was just really busy (laughs) and, you know, it would even though the the admission call was kind of borderline, I needed to take the patient in order to offload that service. So I was hot. I went down to the emergency room, recognized that this patient did not speak English. So it was going to be a little bit harder for me to to get the history. It's going to involve trying to get an interpreter on the line at a really late hour. And also the patient was elderly. So I wasn't exactly sure of their cognition status. So it was going to be a bit of a, a bit of a struggle. So to be completely honest, like I was not in a good mood going into this patient's room. I get the interpreter on the line. I try to get the story. And luckily this patient had some family who had been sitting there and they'd been in the emergency room for hours, I'm sure. Meanwhile, we're upstairs arguing about who's going to take the admission. And then here I show up. I get the story. And then I notice that the family is just kind of staring at me. Oh, wow. Yeah. And you know, I kind of shrug it off. I'm getting ready to, to step out so I can put a bunch of orders in. And one of the family members stops me and says in kind of uh, broken English, we know you. We know oh, who wow. you are. To be honest, I was just so I, not expecting it. I just kind of froze. Yeah. You know, my initial thought was just like, oh, gosh, you know, they're, they're mixing me up with another black physician because it happens you know, mm-hmm. not infrequently. Mm-hmm. And they're like, yeah, you were at the funeral. We know you. 
and my heart nearly stopped. So pause here. I don't know if you recall a couple episodes ago, I told you the story of one of my first patients in clinic who I had to yes. send to the ICU. Yes, yes, with the hard abdomen. You know, separate story for a future podcast episode, but I had been very involved in that patient's care as an intern. That patient had been in and out of the hospital and eventually passed. And I, I felt very moved by the whole experience. And I had ended up going to this patient's funeral, even though the funeral took place in Spanish. So I didn't really understand anything. I was sitting kind of towards the back, but I really wanted to be there and be present. But what I didn't realize was that the family members noticed me and knew who I was. Wow. And so flash forward a year, here I am in this patient's room that, you know, I wasn't thrilled about taking the case for. And the patient who I was working up in the emergency room that evening was the sibling of my patient who had passed. Mm -mm -mm. And the family, again, was telling me how glad that they were that I was involved in this case. It was just not only unexpected, but again, these just immediate gut checks, whereas moments before you know, I had completely detached myself from this human being, you know, looking at a constellation of problems and deciding that, you know, this isn't a cardiology problem. This is not worth my time or, or effort at this point. I'm tired. And I come down and this connection is made. And it just completely changed the energy mm. within myself and the energy in the room. Mm. And I sat back down and I was just like, wait a minute, like, tell me more. And I kind of asked about how they were doing since, you know, the, the last sibling passed and what had been going on. Suffice to say, because I was admitting overnight, I did not end up caring for this patient during the, the full duration of their stay in the hospital. But, you know, again, we get into these roles where you're so intent on your job and what you're doing that, you know, you don't take the time to recognize a human being in front of you. And the fact that I, you know, I could have missed this connection had I like put my foot down and said, no, like I'm not taking this admission. It's amazing how sometimes uh, something can just throw a speed breaker down and, mm -hmm. and cause you to humanize the patient in front of you very suddenly. Right. And it looks like that's what happened to you. Um, now, obviously, you know, we are educators. So in the defense of our learners, your wellness does matter. You can't always just take on everything, right? You can't. But if you are at a point where there is a task in front of you and you know you have to do said task um, and it involves patient care, it, it, it does help when, thing, when you have experiences like this so that you remember, hold up, you know, for these people, this is the only patient in the hospital. This is their end of one. And for me to be like tossing the patient around like a hot potato mm -hmm. is not cool. Yeah. You know, especially our patients who do not um, speak English as a primary language. It's just so many barriers that stand in the way of that. And I know for us at Grady, our um, in-person interpreter services, they have taught me so much about how to just do a better job humanizing patients. And that one act that you made of deciding to come to this funeral where you didn't even understand what anybody was saying, that obviously meant a lot more to that family than even you realized, you know? Yeah. Among the, the many things in my archives that I will never forget, that is one that stands out, particularly because of the attitude that I went in with. 
you know, whether or not we had a connection, you know, you don't know someone else's story and perhaps there's a connection there, um, something relatable or something that you would understand. But at the very least, we know what it's like to be vulnerable and, and fearful for folks that we love. You can imagine being in that position in the middle of the night in the emergency room where everybody is kind of talking around you and moving around you to take the time and space to sit down and, and connect with someone is, you know, it's a small task for what our folks go through and where we might find ourselves one day if we haven't already. You know, now that I've had my own experiences with the healthcare system through the lens of being a loved one of somebody sick, I have very, very strong, positive memories of the, the physicians and the caregivers of my father who did a little bit more, who mm-hmm. cared with a little more zeal and, and who just saw my father as my father yeah. instead of like some dude on their list that's old, they had a stroke, that's, you know, confused. That's huge. I, I, I love that in a very scary moment, that family got that piece of solace, like, mm-hmm. oh man, thank you, God, you know? Yeah, for sure. You know, and it was, it was moving for me too. And it was an experience that I needed at that point. Yeah, I remember being at that funeral and yeah, feeling like a little bit of a fish out of water. You know, I didn't talk to that many people. I think uh, my, my patient's daughter introduced me to a couple of family members as, as the primary care physician, but really, you know, I just wanted to be present. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> Our work is tiring. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Y'all overdue for some tears out of me anyway, but, (laughs) but, you know, our work is tiring and we would love to tell stories about how we always did the right thing. You know, how we always took the high road, always were the ones who threw the flag on the play and said, this is someone's loved one. We shouldn't be doing this, you know, Mm -hmm. but when you are tired and you're just trying to get through a night, yeah, you know, Unfortunately, you know, that isn't what you're always thinking. You're just trying to, to survive, you know, and, but what's making me tearful was how important it was to me when I was that family Mm. to just have somebody slow down and see us. And, you know, I cannot promise that even now that, you know, we've had the experiences that we've had, you with your grandmother, me with my dad, and whatever will come after, that I will always do the right thing. But yeah, our lived experiences as family members and as patients, they leave us forever changed. And, and really, that family that saw you is no, no different than you were when you were walking into that ICU for your grandmother mm. and just hoping that you could just see a sign of some sort yeah. that she's not an old lady who had a stroke. She's, she's a person who like is full of light and joy and love and who rubs my back and says my Ashley and who, and who has a whole world, you know, and mm. I don't know, people just don't realize this job It's so hard to kind of balance knowing that that is so about the patients you care for, but self-care at the same time. Yes. So yeah, damn. 
Did you go to that funeral for that patient or you didn't get grow as close to that family? I didn't grow as close to the family in that case. I was only with them for the night. I think at that point, the patient was already nearing the end of their life. And so I didn't get to engage as much, but I did get a chance to let them know how much the patient whose funeral I did attend meant to me and how much my ability to be involved in her care was impactful for me as an early physician. Wow. What a gift. Mm -hmm. That's a small mercy. I mean, because wow. Yeah. They they had been through a lot. I love, I love that story. That's beautiful. Yeah. Well, thank you for listening. Well, you know, thank you for digging into the crates of the archives of Ashley. There's plenty more where that came from. (laughs) And plenty more tears from me where that came from. (laughs) Excellent. Yeah. Well, sis, I uh, sure do appreciate you and love you and love our connection and feel forever grateful that Gurpreet Dhaliwal somehow invited me out there (laughs) as a visiting professor and that on my schedule, I got the chance to meet you. Amen. Well, shout out to Beth Harleman as well, my my mentor and sponsor for getting me on that very tight (laughs) schedule. That's what's up. That's what's up. And of course, shout out always to Emily Silverman, because that's our other matchmaker. So we can't we can't leave her out. Amen. All right. All right, sis. Make it the best day. Likewise. Love you. Okay. Love you, too. That wraps up this week's episode of the Human Doctor Podcast. Special thanks to our favorite brother gastroenterologist, Dr. Chuma Obiname for the beats. Shout out to the Dr. Ashley McMullen for editing and production. Mad love to our podcast family at The Nocturnist and the Clinical Problem Solvers, our med Twitter fam, and especially shout out to all of you, our listeners. Until next week, remember, we see you and you are enough. Holla! Holla.